Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club, a show where I tell guests a mystery story and they try and guess the solutions. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I am joined by Luke Fields. Hello, Luke. Hi. So I found Luke's uh, Instagram page, which is a Agatha Christie meme account. And do you want to kind of explain what made you start the account? Well, um, I thought of the idea when I was really bored and I felt that I was there was an extreme lack of this page because Agatha Christie, I don't feel would be a person who would enjoy memes. But, <laughs> um, I thought because I enjoy her so much, I wanted mm-hmm. to show my love for her books and mystery as a genre in a whole. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure any any Agatha Christie fans that are listening right now, if you'd uh, like to check it out, what's can you give your exact name? I'd, I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah, it's Christie underscore memes. Okay, so check that out on Instagram. Um, I I think anyone who likes Agatha Christie, unless you really hate memes, you're gonna enjoy this account. <laughs> <laughs> and so so clearly you're an Agatha Christie fan. Do you like any other detective fiction books? Yeah, I like the the Sherlock Holmes ones. Obviously, I've read yes, a few okay. uh, Sayers ones as well, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't read the author we're doing today. Nayo Marsh. I said her name wrong the last time I did it on the show. Um, it's spelt <laughs> N-G-A-I-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should have looked it up, and now I have. And the internet says Nayo. <laughs> well, the internet is always right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So how how do you feel? I'm just curious because I don't know very many people personally who have read um, Dorothy L. Sayers' books. How do you feel about her stories? Um, they're quite similar to Agatha Christie. I haven't read many. I think I've only read one. But um, I hear there are friends in real life, so I feel like that would help. Yeah, they were they were both part of the, what was it called? The detective? No, I think the, that... the detection club. Yeah. And then I think Arthur Conan Doyle was also in that circle as well. Yeah, that's so cool that they just had that going on in the in the thirties or so. Yeah, imagine I guess just still going on today. Yeah, imagine just being best-selling authors all together, just sharing ideas. It'd be fun yeah, to sit down and, and then, yeah, and writing stories together. I haven't exactly. read any of the ones they did together yet. No, I haven't either. I think maybe they're a bit um, rarer. Yeah. Would you like to get started on this story? Yes. So today we are doing the short story Death on the Air by Nio Marsh. And it's from the, the, I think it appears in both of her short story collections. The one I've read it in was the collected short fiction of Nio Marsh. And this was apparently published in 1989, which kind of surprised me because I, I don't know. I just figured that it would have been similar to Christie where her short story collections were kind of serialized and then published in in books but i couldn't there might just not be that kind of information on the internet but i couldn't find it anywhere yeah so this story so i guess first i'll introduce because this is kind of new the main detective in this in in niall marsh's series is detective roderick allen and he's a he uh i was kind of reading up his wikipedia page um the other day and so he starts out as uh, like a London metropolitan police officer and then works his way up to Scotland Yard. And I think most of these stories take place as he is 
in the Scotland Yard or like a detective inspector in in Scotland Yard. So I guess kind of like similar to Inspector Jap in in Christie books, except um, Alan is much more respected. (laughs) (laughs) And the, you know, the main detective who who solves all the ridiculous crimes. Yeah. And he is kind of called a gentleman detective, which I... I don't really know what that means. No, I don't understand that either. <laughs> uh, but maybe the idea of like he's super polite, maybe like that would be my my guess. Yes, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Wikipedia doesn't go too much into it, so just gotta guess. And she, so she started done some more background as well. Niall Marsh started writing in the thirties, nineteen thirties, and she published up until the eighties. So she was kind of similar to. Um, Agatha Christie, who started in like the detect- golden age of detective fiction, but then wrote up until the the late 18th century, 19th, 20th century, <laughs> 20th century. Um, okay. So this story, Death on the Air, the reason, so the, the kind of title comes from um, like the radio. And so being on air, if you are like a radio, radio host or a radio show. Yeah. So the, the story starts with Emily Parks, who is the under housemaid at the Tonks household. And she opens the, she goes into the study and she, the, the radio is on, which is like, it kind of surprises her because it's really loud. So she goes to open the curtains and kind of like get some light into the room when she realizes that her, like the master of the household, Mr. Septimus Tonks is sitting in front of the radio and it looks like he's kind of like bent over you know it would have been one of those giant big box radios um so he's bent over it kind of like twisting the dials and something about the way he's sitting kind of makes her realize that something is wrong and she just she doesn't do anything about it she just starts screaming and i think there's some idea that she knows already that he's dead just the way the way he looks all right so so you know she wakes up the whole household (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the the butler who was probably already awake chase he gets there first and he like immediately shuts emily up and sends her up to her room to, to kind of quiet her down and mr hislop arrives as well and so mr hislop is the secretary to the late mr septimus tonks um and so they kind of are discussing what to do basically of like is he dead they kind of like they touch the body it's cold and like rigid and so it's they're like okay yeah the guy's dead uh and shortly the eldest child mr guy tonks we'll all call him guy uh when he kind of gets an understanding of the situation he agrees that they need to call dr meadows right away so i think this is one of those things that comes up a lot as well of people's first reaction is not call the police it's call a doctor and let them make the decision on what should happen (laughs) I'm sure you've seen that in Christie's books as well. Yes. Um, sometimes there's a doctor on hand in Christie books. That's usually a theme. Yeah. Yeah, of course, because it has to be fast. Exactly. He <laughs> <laughs> just happened to be passing by. Uh, so I think Dr. Meadows arrives pretty quickly as well. He's the neighborhood doctor, so he's there within a couple minutes. And so when the doctor gets there, he points out that um, Septimus's fingers are burnt. 
And so there, the I think it's Chase who's pointing this out, the butler, and he's kind of going, it must be electrocution. Like it has to be electrocution based on these fingers. And I think Dr. Meadows is a little more hesitant to decide on what the death cause of death was right away. Yes. So Dr. Meadows tells the eldest son, Guy, that they have no choice. It, it, he, he's not going to be able to rule the death as like natural. So there's no choice. They have to call the police, which again, in this time period, as, as we were saying that they call the doctor first, calling the police was seen as like a bad thing. Like you didn't want to do it because yeah. you were going to bring on like scandal. You know? Yeah. I mean, if they're like rich enough, then everyone's going to know that I might even get to like a newspaper or something. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that exists today as well, but like you and I, I, I wouldn't care. I don't think like, what would you no. think if you found a dead body? <laughs> if I find a dead body, I'm pretty sure I would definitely call the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I would not be thinking, Oh no, what are the newspapers going to say about me? <laughs> So, so they, Guy agrees, okay, yeah, we've got to call the police. And um, um, Dr. Meadows kind of says, don't worry, though, I know a gentleman inspector, gentleman detective, and they call Inspector mm-hmm. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> this, this whole story is happening, I think it's Christmas Day. So this is not important to the story. Um, but I think that was also the idea of like, I don't know, they're calling the doctor and the police on Christmas. Yeah, be yeah. inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. So Inspector Allen arrives with him is Inspector Fox. And so Inspector Fox is just like one of, you know, his partner. I don't know. I haven't read enough Niall Marsh to know if he's a recurring character, but he's he's here for today. Mm-hmm. And they both agree that, yes, it does look like it's it was an electric shock from the radio. Just the way he's hunched over these dial, like has one hand on each dial. But they have no idea how that could be possible because they do go into um you know how Agatha Christie is like she was she was a nurse in the or um or uh medical dispenser in the first world war and so like she knows a lot about poison and kind of like put that into her stories yeah that is Niall Marsh the same I don't I don't know actually but it she's this this short story is like very much going into how electrocution as a form of death would work and so it just made me think that maybe she had some kind of specialty. I didn't look into it though, so I'm making this up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you didn't have the internet back then, so you couldn't just watch a few YouTube videos and try and yeah. figure it out for yourself. <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, either she knew or maybe like someone in her life had just described to her how electrocution worked, and she was like, oh, I'm going to put this into a story. Mm. It felt like that. but it, so So they kind of go into that it couldn't, how could you possibly be electrocuted from touching the radio? Like these things are supposed to be protected. And the, the dials themselves are like, uh, they're not plastic, but whatever they would have used back then, but the same thing that doesn't conduct electricity. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of, they're, they're stumped a little bit there. Um, it isn't till they start kind of analyzing the radio more that they find that two, a little hole has been drilled beside each dial into the wood of the, the radio. And there's nothing coming through them, but it does, they find sawdust in the radio. And so it makes them think that these holes are very recent and they wouldn't have, they're not supposed to be there. So now they're thinking, okay, the radio does look like it's been tampered with. So now there's more of a possibility that something happened. So... Um, Alan, Inspector Allen tells Dr. Meadows to go be near the family, but 
uh, Meadows seems like kind of wants to know what's going on. Like he doesn't want to leave. He wants to be a part of the action. And so Alan kind of says, okay, well, if you're going to stay here, tell me a bit about the family. Like, I want to know what's going on with this family. Like what are, what are some possible reasons that someone could want Septimus dead? Mm -hmm. So, so Septimus, sorry. So Dr. Meadow says that Septimus was like super unpleasant. He was one of those characters that is just a huge bully have have you read um hercule poirot's christmas yes um i read that and then immediately listened to your podcast (laughs) (laughs) so that character whoever that father is that's exactly like it's exact you can just picture that it's that kind of um mean old man who is like bullies his children and his wife yeah that comes up a lot in like Agatha Christie's story. I'm reminded of Appointment with Death. That's a bit on a like a more violent scale, but still. I okay. I I have read that one, but I do not remember the story. <laughs> but I I agree with you that I'm sure there this her uh, the Hercule Poirot's Christmas is just fresh in my mind. But you're definitely right that the, yeah, it's a theme or not a theme, yeah. but a, a trope of a mean old man. I think it's kind of. Um, I think when they were writing it, they wouldn't, it's like, you wouldn't feel bad killing off this character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christy does a good job of, you don't normally feel sorry for the dead person, do you? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure, again, I haven't read enough Nile Marsh, but from the from now the stories I have read, she does, she's kind of doing the same thing of, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't make you like the, the person who's going to die. Mm-hmm. So... So we find so we find out that this guy is kind of a jerk. He's unpleasant to be around. He bullies his kids. And then uh, Dr. Meadows also starts talking about how bad he was to his wife and how she suffered from um, what they call in the story hysterical neurosis. So I'm I imagine that some today we might know more what that actually is. It's some mm-hmm. kind of um, mental illness, I assume, but unclear what that means in this book. Uh, but to think just the idea of like she's very afraid of her husband and kind of like a shell of the person that she probably could be if he wasn't in her life. And so after giving all that information, he realizes that he it's probably confidential. He probably shouldn't be talking about it and leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too late. <laughs> Actually, wait, sorry, wait, no. Before he, he, he says he shouldn't be talking about this medical information, but before he leaves, he kind of like turns at the door and says that there had been a fight the night before because um, Mr. Hislop, the secretary, had called him and said that Septimus and his daughter, Philippa, had been in some kind of an argument. And that I think there had been this idea that the family would call Dr. Meadows to kind of help out when there were these fights. So like, I guess if he could break things up a little bit or... Um, I think it was more for Mrs. Tonks, like the mother, because she was kind of suffering from something else already so that he could be there to help her. And so he tells Mr. Hislop, if it gets worse, call me back. Otherwise, just stay in your room on a like, if I don't hear from you, I'll assume that it's everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So then then Dr. Meadows leaves and the police are kind of doing some more inspecting, detecting in the room. And they find that the radio knobs look identical to like there's uh, curtain stoppers on the end of the curtain rods and Mm -hmm. they look very similar except the curtain rods stoppers are metal Um, and they also find that if you take the knobs off the radio it looks like they've been stuffed with blotting paper 
which was the you would have used to like put on in back in this day when you wrote with ink i guess you put the blotting mm -hmm. paper on top to soak up the extra ink yeah. yeah so i've never used blotting paper but i always assume it's kind of like waxy material do you know anything more about it no i've never written in <laughs> ink but uh yeah i get what you mean um if you were going to suck up ink in that way i guess i would do it with waxy paper yeah, so I'm I'm assuming, and then from this story, they kind of make it sound like the blotting paper was ripped up and shoved into, uh, onto the shaft of where the um, dials would have gone, so that these metal curtain rod things that look like dials will fit better, because otherwise it would have been too loose. Mm -hmm. And they make it sound like there was a residue left over that looks like blotting paper. So whatever, however blotting paper works, that's how they figured it out. <laughs> So they find the curtain stoppers and then they so now they're kind of getting an idea they're still not exactly sure what could have happened but there's this idea that if you you could have shoved you could have shoved wires through these little holes and had them touching these metal uh dials but mm -hmm. what they're still confused about is uh, again this is where Niall Marsh kind of starts going into like how electricity works and like getting a shock and whatever and they're kind of saying even if you were touching both dials and one is positive one's negative the idea is like you know the shock would go through one arm through your chest and out the others so it could go through your heart but yeah. they're saying there would be enough voltage like it could be like 500 volts but there wouldn't be enough current and so you still you might get a shock but you wouldn't die you from that die amount from of it. current yeah so there's still there's still like we're missing something there's something missing from the story so they from the family they end up interviewing guy the eldest son first and he says that his father was a radio enthusiast he liked listening to the radio all the time and that no one was ever allowed near it like it was his radio again he's like this bully character it's his radio who cares if anyone is interested in radio i'm the only one who's allowed to like play with this thing <laughs> so it kind of gives this like idea that no one else necessarily would be that familiar with the radio like guy himself is saying like i don't know anything about it um but his younger brother albert had wanted to like had been interested in the radio and then his father had basically said no you're not allowed to be so he hadn't pursued it <laughs> kind of <a> jerk <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's such a childish thing to do especially yeah. for a radio <laughs> it's not that interesting <laughs> I, yeah, I, but I mean, I guess at this time it was like, yeah, that there's was, no TV. This is this is the big deal. Yeah, that's how you got all your your books and your radio plays and your, <laughs> yeah. your information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so just just another another way he wasn't a great guy. Yeah. So so they they've talked a little bit about Albert, and at this time Albert comes into the room and he's kind of going like, "You have us cooped up in the library. This this is ridiculous. Like, what's going on?" That's kind of like his how he comes into the room. And so Alan asks him if he um, recognizes, or I think he recognizes the knobs because uh, from they've taken those uh, curtain stoppers off and they're just sitting on the table and Albert recognizes them. And so they ask him why. And he admits that he had done a portrait last year of his sister, Philippa, uh, in this room and he had painted the curtain. So he, he's saying that he recognized them from looking at them so much as he was doing this painting. Right. And so he does, he also says that he's glad his father is dead, but that the whole family was so terrified of their father that no, like they were all too terrified to do it themselves. Like it's, he's kind of saying, I'm not sad he's dead, but also I didn't do it. 
I, I mm. never could have had the courage to do that. Yeah. So Albert says he had last heard his father yelling at Hislop at around 10 p.m. the night before. He had been going out to a party or something and that he had gotten home um, just after one. And he says that he doesn't remember the radio being on at that time. And so I'm kind of I was thinking as I was reading this um, that that's possible that radio shows like they're not like today. I don't think they would have run 24 seven. So I think it makes sense that if the radio was on, like the radio was on in the morning, so we're assuming it was on all night, but it's possible at 1 a.m. there would have been no radio show to be playing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that makes sense? 1 a.m. is an awkward time, I wouldn't imagine, because I don't think they pre-recorded those things back then. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean, is I don't think they had enough listenership at that, like those, that time of night or morning or whatever to Mm -hmm. have something going. And so... This is kind of important because Guy is saying to the older brother that he had gotten home around 1220 and he had heard the radio. It had been playing at full blast, but no one in the house was talking. So it seemed like the house was quiet, but the radio was on. And again, their father being this like eccentric guy who you didn't want to mess with. He didn't question the radio being on. He was just like, oh, it's dad being dad. and went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So they each, he's asked, they're asking about house keys so each guy and albert had had their own house keys to let themselves in and that philippa had had one at one point but she had lost hers so it's just the two keys their mom didn't have one right so next they interview philippa the sister and she comes in and tells them this takes a little more prodding but i'm just summarizing she tells them that she had kissed his lop the night before i think how, <laughs> how it had happened was his her dad was always, you know, ragging on at his lap, being like kind of basically saying you're a bad secretary. And so he had come out of the, the study crying is how Philippa described it. And so she said in that moment, she felt so bad for him and realized that she loved him. And so she had kissed him, obviously, you know, how things work. No, she did. <laughs> <laughs> And unfortunately, at that moment, her father had come out of the study, seen them kissing, and been furious Mm. because that was not what he wanted. Um, He wasn't okay with it. And so he had basically dragged Philippa up to her room and yelled at her a bunch, said a ton of rude things, told her how terrible she was and how this was an atrocity, and then locked the door and gone back downstairs to his study. How old are these children supposed to be? Good question. So, so Guy is working with the family business. He's like, he works for his father's business. And then um, Albert is studying to be a lawyer. And then I want to, I'm going to say Philippa's the youngest. So let's say like, I don't know, Guy's in his mid twenties and maybe Albert's in his like late teens, early twenties, if he's studying law. And then Philippa's maybe like late teens. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they don't, they don't go into it, but they do feel like, I don't think they're young children. I think they're older children. Yeah. That are just still living at home. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be, I don't know culturally how normal that was back then for like how long you would live at home for, but I imagine you would until you were married, probably. Possibly, unless you were like very rich and you could afford a house of your own. Yeah, true. So uh, it, it this guy sounds so controlling that he he's not giving up his money and he does probably doesn't want his kids to leave because he wants to control them. Yeah. So it's possible Guy and Albert are older, maybe late 20s, but I don't I don't think they're too old. No. 
Right. So during during this like fight between her and her father, um, Philippa says that her mom had come into the room and Philippa had wanted her to leave because she was trying to protect her mother. She didn't want her dad yelling at her mom. Um, and so, but I don't think it had gotten too bad. But after locking Philippa in a room, her dad had gone back with her mother to their room and had kind of yelled some more, not at the mother, but about Philippa being like, she's such a ter- like, this is such a disgrace. This is so like awful whatever. whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think Philippa leaves and they, Alan asks Chase in and he asks if um, Septimus had had any bad habits and Chase had basically been like, would it, how can I name just one? Everything he did was a bad <laughs> habit. <laughs> like he was such a rude person. And I think they find out now that Chase was, he'd only been working there two months and he'd already, I think put in his two weeks notice. Like he was already leaving because mm-hmm. he was kind of saying i like i can do better than this <laughs> <laughs> um and so he does remember i think it takes him a little bit of time but he remembers that septimus had always licked his fingers before doing anything so before he would have touched the radio dials he would have licked his fingers oh. and that clicks for the inspectors who go oh if his fingers were moist that would have now we can see how he could have died because exactly. the now the current has I don't know, less resistance, more resistance. <laughs> and let's just accept that his fingers were wet. Yes. And that's electricity bad. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. So his fingers are wet. Now it, it all makes sense. The current is greater and he could have actually died from it. So this is, that was the, the piece of the puzzle they were missing. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got, they've got that from his lot that explains this large shock. And then his lot. Oh wait, sorry. This is Chase who was saying this. Sorry. So they've got that from Chase. And they're kind of asking, who does anyone else? Does this bother anyone else? And Chase is like, yeah, I know it bothered Hislop. He had been um he'd been really sick one day, and he had told when Doctor Meadows was administering to him, he had like said it out loud that he hated, that he it drove him demented is how they phrased it in the book. Like it, it, he was so enraged by this behavior, and I think it's hinted at that Septimus did it on purpose to annoy Hislop, partly. They're really making you hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're laying it on thick. <laughs> so kind of hearing that, Alan wants to talk to Hislop again. So they invite him back in. And he, they kind of ask about, like, why why was Septimus yelling at him the night before that had made him cry? And so he says that it was the usual stuff. He just, you know, he he would find any little thing to yell at him for. So he, he was, like, a little clumsy or he hadn't his writing hadn't been neat enough or whatever, whatever. And so that's what had left him crying. And he's, they're asking, why don't you just leave? Like, why are you still here? And he says that he, he's been, he was widowed recently. And so with all the hospital fees that he's in debt and he has a couple of children and now he's the like sole provider. um, He just can't, he needs the money. He can't leave. Mm -hmm. So he also says that when, when, when Septimus had been yelling at Philippa, he had kind of listened in a little bit, and then he had been the one that called Dr. Meadows to let him know about this fight. And he could just hear Septimus insulting Philippa a lot. He has the bedroom beside her, so he was listening through the wall at all of this going on. Mm-hmm. And he had stayed in his room this whole time, basically saying, of course I couldn't sleep, like this was so awful. But he does remember at one after after all the fight fight had ended, and I think Septimus had gone back downstairs. He remembers the like um, the radiator radiator in his room kind of like um, crackling, 
And he also remembers hearing static from the wireless downstairs because the study was below his room, so he was able to hear it. And then shortly after, who knows how much time, because he wasn't really paying attention, he did hear the radio turn back on. So they're kind of guessing that the radio and the radiators in the house were on the same circuit or whatever mm-hmm. fuse. So, so <laughs> electricity, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> and so they think that whenever this shock happened, that's when the radiator would have like crackled or made whatever, some kind of noise. And the, and the ra- um, radio downstairs would have had, he would have heard the static. Mm-hmm. And then also the fact that the radio was on in the morning means that someone must have fixed the system. So some whoever whoever tampered with the radio after um, Septimus was killed after he died, someone fixed like put everything back in order because like those the um, the dial radio dials had been switched to the curtain rods, but then they were switched back because the curtain rod stoppers were back on the curtain rods. So someone had been back into the room mm-hmm. later. So then they interview Mrs. Tonks and she, there's not really much to get out of her. She breaks down a lot crying and um, her room was too far away. So she couldn't hear the wireless anyways. Um, She Mm kind of says that she had just laid in bed for after her husband had like had that fight with Philippa. She just laid in bed and then eventually had fallen asleep. Yeah. She probably has some issues. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) So then the detectives kind of review how the crime could have been committed. And so it's all kind of just going over stuff that now we've already um, talked about. And so they're kind of, they're, yeah, they're starting to form their opinions. So I will also pause here and ask um, kind of how you're feeling about the ca- this uh, case and if you have any opinions or thoughts. Well, um, I like how uh, the author has gone deep into the electricity stuff. I think that's very okay. interesting. Um, but the fingers charring, it's getting burnt. That kind of like went up for me that maybe they were burnt on purpose and not by the radio. But then when they kept going into all the electricity stuff, that kind of idea went out. I think, yeah, I think the, I think that's a known thing that that's what happens if you get electrocuted. I mean, I don't really know, but that's kind of the, the, the vibe you get from the story of like, yes, this is, this is normal. This is the expected, what would we expect to happen? Um, the, the first, the woman, Emily Parks, who, um, discovered the body, she wasn't that phased by the body, which, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, she was phased, but it kind of seemed fake because she was just screaming. Yeah um but anyway i'm you're gonna realize i'm really not good at all this stuff i love them <laughs> but i'm awful at it. it's, Usually, it's i think more fun to not guess and just let it happen sometimes yeah, sometimes i heard a quote i can't remember who it was from but it was like if you do if you don't read mystery books and not try and solve them it's like doing a crossword puzzle and looking at the answers and like i partially agree with that but it's a book at the end of the day yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. I'm here for enjoy entertainment, enjoyment. Yeah, I don't want to have to think sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let the story go for me. Yeah. Usually, if I discover a mystery, it's because of like the character types, but that okay. often happens with Agatha Christie books because I've read so many of them and I know the kind of the kind of character she likes, the kind of character right. she would delegate to do a murder. Yep, but. With a new author, it's it's definitely more difficult. So I'm trying to 
think back. So the daughter, Philippa, mm-hmm. the fight was quite recent. It was on that night. Yeah. Yeah, so the obviously night he died. She's very angry. And then um I feel like the wife is a bit because she's just kind of swept under the rug as having some kind of hysteria. She Fair might enough, have yeah. some other illness. But really, I have nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so so kind of like Philip would be maybe the most likely because she was the angriest at that specific time, but kind of the whole family didn't yeah. like their father. So they yeah, all have I'm motive. They all have motive, but I feel like Philippa is, at the moment, the most angry at her father. Right, yeah. So she's tough, though, because she's she was locked in her room. And they ask, um, yeah. Guy had come by when he had gotten home around, like, the 1220, and he says he had, had unlocked the door for her because the key was still in the lock. Maybe it's, like, a, a whole conspiracy. Maybe they're all in on it. <laughs> That's possible. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not getting that off the table right now. Yeah, yeah anyway. even just not maybe not everyone, but it could be just multiple people. Yeah, um, I mean, guy unlocking the door for Philippa, and then also, mm-hmm. um, who's the guy that Philip kissed? Uh, Mister Hislop, the secretary. Yeah, um, they might be in it as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my my thoughts for now. Um, do you want to give then your your official? Where this is the end of the story, so I'm gonna give. Oh, but this is the now. end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I thought we had more to go anyway. Um, uh, sometimes I do pause earlier, but uh, this one just had it. You know. A, a, yeah, a good it's a short story. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, I'm gonna say that uh, Philippa was the the person who did it. Okay. Sure. Poor Philippa. Okay. Poor Philippa. <laughs> <laughs> it's it feels like one of those stories where everyone hates the murderer. Sorry, the murdered victim so much that I think Hercule Poirot has done this a couple times, where he just lets the murderer get away in a sense. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not too harsh with his justice sometimes. Right. That reminds me of Murder in the Orient Express, where he just lets them go free. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he this person was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of, not the vibe we're getting, but it is that kind of feeling of whoever it is, you kind of feel like they did the right thing by getting rid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not the right thing, but, you okay. know. True. It's better. He's a little bit nicer when he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Hopefully the kids will be able to actually do what they want to do now instead of yeah. um, what their father wants them to do. Yeah, and that gives a sense of gratitude. It makes yeah. me feel happy for them. That reminds me yeah. again of appointment with death because uh, there's like an epilogue at the end of that book and you get to see mm-hmm. all the children of this abusive mother and they're all happy now. One's an actress and they're going to see and they're all supportive of her and it's very happy. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we don't get an epilogue in this one, but we will assume that they it's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I can make it up in my head. <laughs> yeah. So Alan, Alan has a few more questions for Dr. Meadows. And so he asks him back over and it's to do with Hislop. He's kind of saying, um, do you remember Hislop saying that he hated Septimus's habit of licking his fingers at that one time? And Dr. Meadows, Meadows is like, yeah, I think so. Like, how did you know that? And they were like, oh, Chase told us. Because Hislop doesn't remember saying it because he was kind of delirious at the time. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of getting this view. 
And so Alan is kind of telling Dr. Meadows, like, I'm, we're leaning towards his lop. Like he, he had the opportunity, he had the motive, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so they, they bring in his lop to talk to him and he's, he can kind of tell by their, the way they're going on that they suspect him. And so he starts, he starts to talk a little bit and he says that the reason he was staying on, there was a little bit more to it than he just needed the money. It was when his wife had been sick, he had stolen money from the cash box in the house and replaced it. He thought before anyone had noticed, but then he found out that Septimus had known this whole time Hmm. and Septimus like lorded it over him and would constantly, he would never say it directly, but he would, uh, he yeah, he would imply it and make and make his lot feel terrible. And so his lot says, I did want to kill him. I wanted to kill him. But when when Philip had kissed me last night, I just had this renewed sense of like meaning in life and I felt joyous. And it was the first night in a while I did not feel like killing Septimus. Like I didn't care. So I'm a, I can't say I'm sad he's dead, but I swear it was not me. And mm-hmm. at this point this point um a letter has been arrived for inspector allen and so he pulls it out and reads the first few lines and says don't worry hillslop i believe you and so we're kind of going now who is this letter from that has made allen kind of go okay i agree it's not hislop yeah and so the letter ends up being from dr meadows who says allen i know you're gonna arrest hislop don't he's innocent I killed Septimus. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so do you want, what before I kind of, I can go through like everything that happened, but do you want to kind of think about that a little bit and think like what, why that maybe this could have happened? Well, um, I actually did think of Dr. Meadows because I thought um, it's quite like Mercury of War is Christmas. If anyone is not, if anyone was near the house before the the main detective arrives i'm still going to count him as a suspect right so i yeah. did think of dr meadows but then he was very into the case and it kind of made me forget about him a little yes. bit yep. <laughs> which is a good thing that's what it's meant to do yeah um but maybe because he's so close he might know more about this family and then feel bad for them and take pity on them right but that's yeah. that's all i have well that is and that is kind of exactly what had happened of he had been treating mrs tonks the the wife this whole time and seeing her condition and seeing how terrible it was and how it was like caused by her husband and like you know how awful her husband was and so he had had this feeling of if he could get rid of septimus he like the wife would start feeling better again and he also, of course, felt terrible for all these kids, but that wasn't, I think the wife was really the driving factor. It's, there's kind of hinted that he might've been in love with her possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of says that, and then he kind of describes how he did it. So that was his reason why. And so he had gotten this call from uh, Mr. Hislop saying that there, there was this fight going on. And as we kind of know, he's a neighbor, a doctor, he was able to get there quickly. And so we, they think that while this fight was going on, he had snuck into the house with the key that Philippa's Philippa's key that had gone missing that we had, we heard that she had lost. It sounds like he had taken it Mm -hmm. because he'd snuck into the house. He had set up this whole radio thing and then maybe hid somewhere else in the house because he, he had been warned that this fight was going on so that he kind of knew, I think maybe we don't really know this in the story, but I think there's this idea that 
when Septimus was yelling at someone, everyone was up in their rooms. Like no one was just going about their daily business. Everyone was invested in this fight. <laughs> Everyone's, I want to see what happens. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Or or they're just involved. Like they're the ones being yelled at. Yeah. So he kind of knew that no one would be around. So he he tinkers with the radio. He sets it up, whatever, whatever. We know that he knows that Septimus licks his fingers because he was in the room when Hislop had said how much it upset yeah. him. It's all coming together now. <laughs> yeah. And so he he sets all that up. We imagine that he hides somewhere in the house, waits for Septimus to go adjust the radio, and then um, fixes everything and puts it all back in order so that it's for the next day, the body can just be discovered, and um, he'll call the police and hope for the best, basically. <laughs> um, and so we don't really know what his goal like who who did he did he want anyone to take the blame or maybe he wanted it to be thought of as an accident it's kind of unclear but um when he finds out that his is going to be taking the blame and he just is like his such a great like a good person i can't let yeah. him take the fall for my actions and he comes clean nice of him yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> kind of convenient <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there you go. There's Dio Marsh's Death on the Air. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to read some Nio Marsh now. They're good, right? Yeah. Yeah, so she um she has a ton of books. I don't I I uh before starting this podcast, I only read Agatha Christie because I didn't she has so many books. I was like, why would I bother reading anybody else? There's so many yeah. of these and this past year I've been actively trying to read different authors and finding people like this it's like how could i possibly have not read these stories before <laughs> they're so good <laughs> yeah i think i think they're pretty good they're pretty similar to agatha christie yeah so what's not to like exactly <laughs> <laughs> the tried and tested formula yeah exactly so that that is the story any final thoughts um i hope the family has a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> i agree i imagine that dr meadows i think the idea is that he sent this letter and then he runs away or he kills him he like commits suicide maybe mm. so uh he's he's gone whatever we too bad for him but yeah it sounds like the family now can kind of i think this this the father had septimus had a good amount of money so they can hopefully start fresh and do the things they love let's imagine they do hopefully yeah. i hope the son gets to become a painter yes i agree to do that. yeah yeah hopefully he takes goes for that i can't remember what the other kids wanted to do that was the big one that albert wanted to be a painter yeah so if you like the show and you want to get podcast updates or just mystery book related content, you can check out the show's Instagram, which is Tuesday Night Mystery Club on Instagram and TikTok. But I, that's not as, that's not going as well. It's, <laughs> I like watching TikToks, but making them a little more difficult. Um, I like them. I've seen the ones you post on Instagram. I don't have TikTok, but I've seen the ones that you post on Instagram and they're, they're good. So I, I, the real reels, like doing the Instagram ones yeah. is easier, but then having to do it in TikTok as well, they're just mm. kind of, the apps format is just different and not that I can't make TikToks. It's just, I don't know. I find it to be more work. <laughs> <laughs>
So um, you can find that if you would like to follow um, Luke's meme account. That's Christy underscore memes. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Christy underscore memes. And if you would like to contact the show, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can email the show at Tuesday night mystery club at gmail.com. Uh, if if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Tuesday night mystery club. And um, as I don't know if we mentioned this, but Luke had a character list for this episode. And so does um, any future podcast. The guests have a character list that they can see the all of the characters and kind of get a brief description. If you would also like that character list, that is, I think, if you support the $1 a month level on Patreon, you can get the character list yourself for all the episodes. I would like to thank my current patrons. We have at the Inspector Gamash level, Shelley Tsao. Then at the uh, Miss Jane Marple level, we have Michael Brello, Debbie Kravis, Barb McLean, Emily Shilton, Alex Young Davies, um, and Sarah Outhwaite. Um, I think that's all. Thank you so much, Luke, for coming on and doing this with me. I hope you had a good time. I had a really good time. This was great. So fun. Highlight of my weekend. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, well, that is all from me. So I hope everyone at home has a good rest of your day or evening. Goodbye and see you next time.